Welcome to this new episode of the Women in Technology Spotlight. Today I have with me Dr. Carlotta Berry. She is a professor for electrical engineering and a robotics engineer. Welcome, Carlotta. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for taking time out of your really busy schedule to be with me today. Um, my first question would be, let, who are you? Tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself. As okay, absolutely. So I am a college professor. I have been a college professor um, in electrical and computer engineering since 2003. I just was recently promoted to a full professor an endowed um, faculty chair for electrical and computer engineering, but I'm also a robotics controls and automation engineer. Mm -hmm. And I started off my journey as an engineer after graduating from Georgia Tech in 1993, but I always knew my passion was teaching. Um, as a student, I realized that there were not a lot of women, not a lot of black people, and I was better served to go and be an educator and help to diversify the profession than working as an engineer, although that was also a commendable career. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's such an impressive career. And I wonder maybe a little bit about your background, your family. Do you come from a background of scientists or engineers or what made you interested in this topic? So that's the most awesome thing about my journey is I did not. Um, my mom is a school teacher. She was a kindergarten school teacher for about 30 years. My dad worked in a cafeteria, dining hall manager. He didn't have a college degree. And I didn't know any scientists or engineers growing up. I liked Barbies. I liked playing with dolls. But I also like Legos and I like building and, and curiosity, um, just taking things apart and putting them back together. I remember being in the sixth grade and making an electric circuit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's my earliest memory of doing anything that was related to engineering or STEM. But I still wanted to be a high school math teacher all the way until I was in high school math, until someone said, with all of your passions for math and science, you should consider engineering. At the time, because I'm older, no internet, no cell phone. I had to walk to the library and look up engineer. I thought it was a train conductor, as a lot of people did at that time. Um, mm -hmm. And it looked interesting enough. So I chose to get two bachelor's degrees mm -hmm. in mathematics and engineering. So just in case the engineering thing didn't work out, I could still fall back on my math degree. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, you and me, we're both older. So I totally feel the whole thing of going to the library, looking right. up stuff. <laughs> Um, so, and that makes it even more interesting because, you know, nowadays we have all these uh, opportunities to find information on the internet. We have the opportunity to see like YouTube channels where we meet people um, that can be role models for us. So, mm -hmm. you know, embarking on such a journey at a time when there were very few black people, black women in this uh, field, uh, is, is so, so inspiring, actually. Tell me a little bit about how the, the whole journey was for you. How was it at university? Because obviously you would have been one of the few women. Oh, that's my assumption, really. No, you're, you're exactly right. So I started out at a historically Black college, Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia. It's all women and it's mostly Black women. So that was a wonderful and a very positive, a very encouraging and uplifting experience. And I share frequently that it was that experience at 18 to 20 that prepared me for what it was going to be like to transition to engineering school. Because when I got to engineering school and I was one of only two or three in class, one of only two or three black people and one of only two or three women, 
And sometimes the professors were not very welcoming or friendly or encouraging about me being there. I could look back on that strong foundation that I had to keep going. And I like to say that it was my experience at Spelman that not only got me through engineering school, but that I used to model how I teach engineering. I'm bringing that historically black university feeling of caring and support into the STEM Academy because that's how we get more black and brown people to want to go and to stay and to graduate. You touched on something really close to my heart here, the feeling of not being welcome and not belonging necessarily in the field of your choice. I mean, being black is uh, like, like an added obstacle, obviously, yeah. but being a woman alone is usually enough to make you feel as if you were the odd one out. Yeah. So, um, and still, in your case, at least you uh, went on this amazing career to tell me a little bit more. So what happened after you um, chose to, to go to the, to the university and, and what, what happened? Okay, so I will say that the journey was not easy. Um, and I, I share this with my students as well. I'm all about transparency, that mm -hmm. it's not a pipeline, as they like to say, it's not a leaky pipeline. It's an obstacle course. It's a pathway with lots of obstacles. I did fail classes. My GPA was not always the best. Mm -hmm. And I share that because I want my students to understand that you don't have to be super smart and a nerd to be an engineer. And you don't have to be super smart and have a perfect pathway to be mm -hmm. an engineering professor. So despite all of that, I was to continue. In one of my presentations, I like to share that if I had maybe seen what the road ahead looked like, I would have quit, but I did not. And once I was in it, I wasn't gonna quit because I was too stubborn. And I actually did have an administrator at one point tell me to quit engineering school and go home because of my GPA. So at that point, I took it as a challenge. Because you don't think I can do it, I'm stubborn enough to stay and do it. So once I graduated, I went to go work at Ford Motor Company as a controls engineer for a windshield plant. And as part of that work, I work on the line logic, the sequencing with the workers of how you assemble a windshield and add the mirror button. And I had to program the industrial robots. I had taken one robotics course at, at Georgia Tech, but in that course, the undergraduate students only got to write software, only grad students and the professors got to touch robots. That was my first experience and my first negative one that I was like, man, if I ever become a professor, I'm gonna teach robotics in a way so that everyone gets to touch it because hands-on experience is extremely important for learning, right? Just looking at videos is great, but until you get your your hands dirty and see the blue smoke from a capacitor and you break something and have to put it back together, you're losing out on that rich experience. So mm -hmm. it was weird that this 2.5 GPA undergraduate engineering student was sitting there going, when I become a professor, and if anyone had told me like, honey, people like that don't become engineering professors, but I never heard that. So I kept it moving. Mm -hmm. So after Ford Motor Company, um, I got an opportunity to get a fellowship to get my master's in um, controls engineering. So I did that at Wayne State University in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And my advisor at the time, so it was since you're a working engineer, make your master's based on what you're doing at work. So mm -hmm. I wrote a um, controller for the bending layer in the windshield factory. Okay. And it made it very easy because I could then make connections with my my job and my education. And I try to do that a lot with my students as well. Their favorite thing is professors teach because they can't do, or professors teach theory. They don't teach anything in the real world. So we're constantly trying to make connections between theory is important. You gotta have a foundation, but it does translate to what you're gonna do as a working engineer. 
And so from there, I quit my job at Ford and um, then got a job at Detroit Edison, which was electric utility. And I worked in a coal power plant as a controls engineer. We decided, designed a, di a distributed control system. One thing, even as an engineer at Ford, I was constantly talking to the college and high school students about careers in engineering. I was constantly mentoring the interns, so much so that my boss would say, why do you spend more time with the interns than you do with your colleagues? Well, they were closer to my age. I was 24. A lot of the engineers were 20, 30 years older. The electricians and millwrights I worked with were the, you know, 30, 40 years older. They would constantly tell me, you're the age of my daughter. I'm not your daughter. I'm an engineer. So I then knew that even once I got to that electric utility, I wasn't going to stay long because I kept being drawn to students. I kept being drawn to mentoring. I was teaching and tutoring, even as a working engineer, I would always volunteer. So I was just like, I have to go walk out my passion. Yeah. I'm never going to be happy doing this. And of course, my family, who's completely unfamiliar with my career path, were like, are you crazy? You make more money than anybody in our family, and you're going to quit to go back to school? Yes, I'm going to quit and go back to school. So after a year, that's what I did. And I enrolled in a PhD program in controls and robotics at Vanderbilt University, which is in Nashville, Tennessee. Wow. So um, you touched on so many things, so many interesting things. But what I also feel is because you said you were always drawn to the intern, it's like like it's a calling to you to teach yeah. other people, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not just, um, I mean, there are a lot of professors who never left this whole university circus, but you oh. came, you went to the practical world, to the real world to experience what it's like. And then you came back because it's a I calling did. to you, right? Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. um, and that that's actually important. I'm on sabbatical right now. Mm -hmm. So I have not been in a formal engineering classroom to teach since March of 2020. I will return mm -hmm. at the end of August. And even away from the classroom, that desire is still strong. I have become way more active on social media during my sabbatical. Mm -hmm. And one thing I've started doing is teaching people on my Twitter timeline. It's really kind of weird. I, I feel like using social media for for food and cat videos is awesome. But if I can use my social media to amplify black STEM and normalize and promote it, I can. So even people who have no clue have started to engage with my tweets about engineering and math and STEM and robotics. And I just even recently started putting up black STEM gifts. Anything to normalize seeing engineers that look like non-older white men means we are achieving our mission. Yeah, I noticed this actually that you have this YouTube channel and, and I subscribed to it and I saw your Twitter and I'm following you now. And, and I love the whole idea, you know, so like I'm, I'm trying to promote more women in technology, which here in Austria, there's basically mostly white people and it would be hard to actually start a black STEM group. But I love uh, the, the idea of giving representation to, to uh, young people who follow behind us and I love what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. And and also the fact that the, you know, I just recalled when I first came into contact with the internet was in 1994 and I had this immediate epiphany what it would mean in terms of uh, communication and, and uh, with people and, and exchanging information. And that you now say, yeah, it's, it's great to order food and, and, and have cat pictures, but there must be something else. And that's exactly yes. that, yes. because that's what the internet gives us, the opportunity to reach people with information and representation mm -hmm. that would normally not have access. And it's great that you have started this initiative. Tell me a little bit more about Black in Engineering, because I found that so Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I started Black in Engineering with Dr. Monica Cox at Ohio State University and Dr. Tahira Reed Smith at Purdue University. We started it in May of 2020, and it was right after the George Floyd killing. Right around that time, George Floyd had been killed in Minnesota. There was also Ahmaud Arbery who had been killed while jogging in um, Georgia. Uh, Breonna Taylor in Kentucky had been shot in her bed. It was just like we were being bombarded. And then Memorial Day weekend, mm -hmm. right after, there was a racial profiling of Christian Cooper, who was a black bird watcher in Central Park in New York City mm -hmm. by Amy Cooper. And it was just like, we were getting bombarded. And the three of us had a conversation about, we need to do something mm -hmm. because the hashtag black in the ivory was trending on Twitter, talking about the experience of black academics in universities. And there was hardly anything about engineers or computer scientists. It was mostly people in the arts and humanities. Mm -hmm. And we quickly realized that there's so few of us that nobody wanted to share their experience because you would be immediately identified and possibly targeted or retaliated against. So we had to find a way to speak with one clear voice about our experiences mm -hmm. in order to promote STEM equity and eliminate systemic racial bias in the engineering mm -hmm. academy. So we formed Black in Engineering. We created a media campaign. So we also have a YouTube channel. We released videos. We have a call to action on our website, blackandengineering.org. And we're very, very active on social media. The reason this is rare is because professors don't do that. We're all about breaking the mold and changing the face of engineering. Professors are head down in their lab doing research with their grad students, teaching some classes every now and then, writing grants, writing papers, but they don't do social media. First of all, because they're scared that something they're going to say is going to get back to their university and affect their tenure and promotion. So Black in Engineering was a way to give voice to the voiceless to give voice to those who are isolated and marginalized and maybe all along on their campus and a way for them to share their microaggressions or their spirit murders without putting their names to it. Like me, for example, I'm the only black woman um, professor on my campus. Mm -hmm. So if I say anything um, on social media and people figure out where I'm from, they're like, oh, we know exactly where she is. Mm -hmm. So black in engineering is about a voice. Mm -hmm. a voice for the voiceless and we started out a bunch of professors but we now have students undergraduate students we have professionals people from government labs industry um because it was a way for us to actively be seen mm -hmm. when we may have been hyper visible but yet invisible in spaces before yeah. I think that's something other people kind of underestimate how conspicuous you are on the one hand and how isolated on the other yes so I think uh, it sounds like Black in Engineering gives you the, uh, the chance to have a tribe. That, uh, it does. That is exactly what it is. We talk about the community is so much more than anything else. And then it, you know, that was birthed also out of the Black in X movement is what we call it. Around that same time, Black in um, all kinds of organizations come up. So we call it X, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. So I'm also a founder for Black in Robotics. Mm -hmm. There's Black in Chemistry, Black in Neuro, Black in Nano, you mm -hmm. name it. Black Birders Week was actually the of the Black and X movement. Mm -hmm. And it was because it was started because of the Christian Cooper situation. But I do want to acknowledge that there were some organizations that existed before that. Black in STEM mm -hmm. was birthed by Stephanie Page in 2014. Mm -hmm. um, Vanguard STEM and several other organizations as well. So it's just 2020 was the year of the pandemic when people were social dis socially distancing and working from home. So more eyes were on social media. So it exploded, but it wasn't the beginning. But now the Black STEM 
movement has, be has become pretty awesome. And I will say people like you, um, mm -hmm. I get international attention and mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't have gotten that otherwise. So the internet and social media has been a real blessing. That's an interesting point because that's something I also observed that, of course, there's the downside of the whole pandemic and the awful things that happened. But on the other hand, it has given me the opportunity to reach out to people over the internet I wouldn't have met normally because they wouldn't have been quite as active. No, I have met right. so many amazing women during the last 12 months. It's uh, I, I can't even I'm still in awe of the of the women yeah. that are actually out there, you know. We like to say at Black and Engineering that it was the perfect storm because it was a storm. It wasn't a good thing. Yeah. It was the perfect storm that birthed a movement. Yeah. So for all the horrors that 2020 brought to us, especially here in America, because, you know, we had a president too, for all the horrors that that brought, mm -hmm. we were able to create something very powerful mm -hmm. out of it. Yes, and, and coming back to that, um, what are your plans with Black and Engineering? Because obviously now you're building this tribe. Do you have any, any plans to, to, um, yeah, to expand the where whole- Where are we going next? Yeah, it's where are you funny going? because last year was all about our call to action and awareness and social media and getting our, our words out there. And now this week with the awards, we're starting to be acknowledged. One of the things we like to say is we did this because we wanted to see change and outcomes. We did not do this for the accolades. We did mm -hmm. not do this for people to give us a hand clap. We did this because we want to see systemic change in the way Black engineers and ac academics are treated mm -hmm. and the way they are supported as they go through their professional and academic journey. So last night we discussed what's next. And we want to be more about doing actions than awareness. The awareness will continue but we want to form affinity groups now based upon interest. And then in those affinity groups, we support each other. And we also look for opportunities to support junior faculty, such as helping them to get promoted and get tenure, such as writing grants, writing papers, publishing together and creating a network of thought leaders who then go out and give speaking engagements like this. And, and then we actually do research together and also something we learned about last night is called distributed teaching, mm -hmm. collaborative teaching, where we share our intellectual property beyond our university to others. That's another way for amplifying and normalizing seeing black faces. Black and Robotics does something like a reading list where you promote black scholars in your classroom. Mm -hmm. So if you're gonna teach a topic, you go out of your way to find a person of color or a woman who has done that. I've always done that, but it's not normal for majority people to do that. So when I teach robotics, I talk about women roboticists. I talk about black roboticists. There's only two or three, but I go find them, right? So yeah. these, are the, these are the things of the future is integrating these cultural competencies and diversity into every area of STEM. I read a paper last night that talked about, people like to say technology and engineering are not cultural. Um, they're not, they're just straight, they're, they're, they're technical stuff. No. But no matter what, people bring their culture mm -hmm. into every experience when they learn. So you can't say that. If I'm talking about NASA and astronauts, I could bring up Mae Jemison, right? Mm -hmm. There's things you can do to in, in, inject culture into technical fields and topics. You can't see them as being unbiased because everything is biased. 
there is no su such thing as unbiased technology. I mean, just look at, at um, artificial intelligence and machine yeah. learning algorithms. We all know that they're not agnostic. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's an interesting thing that people don't want to see that because, they, but I think that that ties into the whole yeah. thing that people think that because STEM and, and math and, and engineering are kind of uh, intellectual um, topics or, or um, topics that where you use more brain power than emotions, they, they, they tend to underestimate the influence of your emotions. Absolutely. Culture into that. Absolutely. And even the bias in teaching, you know, I'm an educator. I, and you know, when I walk in the room, I know I'm prejudged and presumed incompetent by some, but we all have biases. Even I have biases as well. It's what you choose to do with them. I actually give a presentation on artificial intelligence bias. A mm -hmm. big one right now is the work of Joy Balloon-Mawini, I know I'm saying her name wrong, but mm -hmm. on coded bias and on how facial recognition systems are being used to do policing, which leads yeah. to injustice. <laughs> and it's actually most notorious for either not identifying Black people or misidentifying Black people. And one man in Detroit was arrested yeah. for a crime because of that. So we know there's bias. So that's another reason why Black people have to be in the room for these conversations because they are there to go, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't recognize my skin color, or that's not really what I look like. But when we're not in those spaces, somebody just pushes publish and that work goes out into the world yeah. and the police department decides to use it, right? <laughs> very true, very true. And, and that's something that people underestimate that a lot of our technology is white and male. And what we're trying to achieve now is to build a world that represents all of us, yes. black, brown, women, especially who have all the, the all the people who have not found representation in technology so far. And um, the other thing I heard from, from what you're uh, saying about the future of the, um, what's it, um, of your, of your uh, movement is mentoring, big topic mm -hmm. that you're Absolutely. going out to big mentor. One. That's the one thing. And the other thing is sponsoring. So you talk, obviously last night you talked about two very, very important things that you can right. do, you know, um, teach people how to promote their careers and then also give them opportunity to present themselves and make themselves visible. So Thank this you. is great. Thank you so much. Um, we also are developing a video series for college students mm -hmm. on growing black engineers, because one of the things like I shared earlier is I was completely unfamiliar with the obstacle course of being a black woman in STEM. Mm -hmm. And like I said, maybe if I had, I would have left, but something that helped me to figure out how to get through after I had many failures was figuring out my resources mm -hmm. and how to use them. And I think if we give that to our students earlier, they have more successes and they're less likely to switch majors or to just quit and fail and go home. Mm -hmm. um, so to keep them there, we are also developing a video series where we talk to them about, here's some of the things you need to do. Go to professor's office hours, sit in the front row, mm -hmm. take notes, join a study group, find friends who look like you and don't like look like you. And this new generation, they don't do a lot of talking to each other. I have students who can sit in class together for 10 weeks and not know the name of the person they've been sitting next to. So getting them to understand that networking is important and your professors are not monsters, you can mm -hmm. go talk to them. It really helps, especially if someday later you need a reference or recommendation letter for grad school. I, I struggle with students who never spoke to me when they were in class mm -hmm. and then come to me and ask me to write a letter. I have no idea what to write. I don't know who you are. <laughs> I don't know you, right, exactly. They apply for government jobs. And when the investigator comes back and says, you had the student last year, can you tell me anything about them? Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, so. that's interesting that um, this new generation has built in a whole new uh, obstacle course into their lives because they don't socialize, you know, mm -hmm. because uh, I think we are very much dependent on, on human interaction on our networks. And that's why it's so great that you're building your own tribe around uh, black engineers and why that's so important, because you need people in your life who relate to you, who are part of your history. And they're totally missing out on that experience if they don't socialize at university. Because I remember that was the time when I made the biggest or, or the strongest connections to other people. Absolutely. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about uh, what was hard for you um, when you were um, pursuing your career. And what I would like to talk about is um, what would you recommend to young people or to young black people, to young women, if they go into this career, who want, if they want to become like you? Absolutely. So um, that is the question I get asked the most. And so I, I've not recently actually for my birthday, which was the 4th of July, Aww. I launched a website and it's called nowheresteminist.com. And on it, I have a blog because I do get some of these questions a lot. So I I pushed back and pushed back on starting my own business. And I had a colleague who was like, you've got to just do it. Cause I feel like I'm just a teacher. I just want to tweet. I just want to go to class. And I have several blog posts about this and all of them are, how do I survive in STEM? How do I get in STEM? How do I stay in STEM? Mm -hmm. And what I suggest is you reach out of your bubble your your my daughter is 13 and she is video games all day head down you look up and you identify role models and you can do that online just like you you found me mm -hmm. and you engage in creative hobbies and activities starting as early as you can my daughter's been messing with robots since she was three obviously so that means building legos doing barbies crocheting playing music knitting doing mm -hmm. sports, anything that gets your creative juices flowing. Mm -hmm. And then as many workshops or online um, materials you can find, engage with them. Code.org, Girls Who Code, First mm -hmm. Robotics, Vex Robotics, STEM Scouts, what, whatever that may be, Girl Scouts. My daughter does Girl Scouts. And things that help you um, get on teams, learn how to work with other people, communicate, work with your hands, and generate ideas. Now, once you're older, let's say high school level, I highly encourage you to take as much math and science as you possibly can and programming. What if my high school doesn't have any of that? Go online to khanacademy.org, code.org. There's lots of websites that do VEX VR, does Blockly, scratch programming, but never stop learning. Yeah. Once you're at the university level, um, finding that community that you could, that will support you. National Society of Black Engineers, mm -hmm. Society of Women Engineers, Society of Hispanic and Professional Engineers. There's a society for Asian. Mm -hmm. um, there's also one for American Indian. Um, oh, it's AISES. I'm not gonna remember the acronym, but there's always communities of support, right? We yeah. can get you the technical skills you need but when you have those moments where you fall and bump your knee, you need somebody to help you get up. Yeah. And that's equally as important. Yes, very true. I would love to share the link to your blog below so people can find these answers. 
And I loved how you touched on the fact that people need to do different things. I'm just reading Range by David Epstein. I don't know if you've read that, but that's very much about um, how people who have a broader uh, background are more successful than those who are just focused on one thing because, you know, it, they take all their, their history and their experience and then funnel it into better solutions. I've never read the book, but I will say another thing I push a lot is, is integrating art with STEM to make steam because my daughter wants to be an artist. And I meet a lot of young ladies because around fifth or sixth grade, we start to lose our women yeah. because they start to have negative experiences with math and science, whether from the teacher or some of their male peers in class saying girls don't do math. So with my daughter, I keep her hooked mm -hmm. by integrating things she loves into it. So we make mm -hmm. the robot play music with a buzzer. Mm -hmm. I have a robot that draws, she loves drawing. Mm -hmm. um, you can make a robot dance. So we can integrate art with STEM and now she's using the left and right side of her brain mm -hmm. and she's still doing programming and she's still doing her artistic desires as well. I think we have to take things outside of the box. I like to say a roboticist could be an electrical engineer, mechanical engineer, computer scientist. There are people in sociology and psychology and humanities who also do robotics. Yeah. My area is human robot interaction. I have to keep the human in the loop. So I got to know some sociologists and psychologists to talk about how a person responds to the robot or intuitively would work with a robot and something called the uncanny valley when a person becomes creeped out by a robot right mm -hmm. so these things are important wow that's uh, just just brought me to to something i would like you to share because obviously you're very passionate about teaching and you're also very good at it because i can really feel how you would combine all these things and the other thing is I would like you to share why you love robotics, because um, I think people uh, or women especially should understand why this is so great and what are the different things you can actually achieve with that. Absolutely. I'm obviously biased, but I love robotics because of the connections I can make. Mm -hmm. I just gave you an example of how I can make the tech technical connections because it is so multidisciplinary and that thread runs through so many disciplines. But I also like it because people, even if you're not a technically minded person, they're intrigued by a robot. Mm -hmm. They're interested in it. If I'm working on my robot in the hallway at work or if someone comes in my home and sees my robots in my office, well, what is that? Is that a robot? What does it do? Even if they just wanted to help clean their house or, or um, to do their homework or whatever, people are intrigued by it. So the other thing I love about robotics is it's a hook. It's a great hook for drawing people to, to STEM. So I like to say that I use robotics to draw people to STEM and also to draw me to them, right? Because robotics can get me in the room so that I can talk about diversifying STEM mm -hmm. or I can, I can use it to bring more kids to it. We get kids who are recruited to engineering all the time because of the first robotics competition. They're mm -hmm. high school experiences, right? And we get them in and we talk to them about what did you like about the robot? Did you like programming it? Mm -hmm. Did you like building it? Did you like making sensors for it? Or did you like the control brain part and figuring out how that worked? And that's how we decide what area of STEM is most appropriate for you. So I can look at that robot and help build upon your interests to help you to go where you desire to go. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And it, um, before we wrap off, because we're already on the half hour, the time flew so quickly. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you would like to share with young people coming into the field? Um, as a final word, maybe? Absolutely. I, I like to say, because this was me, if that if something is the desire of your heart, 
-hmm. don't give up no matter what. Mm -hmm. And so mine, I didn't have any role models. I didn't know any black engineers. I didn't have any black engineering professors. I didn't have any black women or women engineering professors. The first time I saw a black male engineering professor was in graduate school. So you can be what you cannot see. It may be difficult, but it's not impossible. But if that's your passion, please pursue it. Thank you so much, Carlotta. This was an amazing half hour. Thank you for sharing your life and your wisdom. Thank you, Thank you for Thank inviting you. me.